0: Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James. I'm really glad to be here with you again this week. My guest this week is a person who passed away several years ago, Thomas Merton. Uh, I'm going to be sharing some, uh, some reading from Merton. I've been going through for, I don't know, maybe this is like my eighth time, um, going through No Man is an Island, one of my favorite Thomas Merton books. And this time I'm doing something very different. Um, I'm kind of reading it as slowly as i can and prayerfully as i can because there's so much richness that's in thomas merton if you've never had a chance to read no man is an island um I, you know i'd recommend it actually maybe if it's your first time reading merton because it's it's to me a very accessible book but um but also very deep and it's something that you should should go over slowly and uh take your time with so um, my reflections today are going to be mostly kind of my reflections on merton as i'm reading and uh, i may just let merton speak for himself but if you're wondering where this is that i'm reading from today uh, and where the voices in my head are coming from this week uh, at least for this morning it's merton i just laid my son down for his nap i just poured myself a cup of coffee and we'll see how far we can get into this today Merton's talking about salvation, and he's trying to dive into um, what it means to to be saved, what it means to be on this road of salvation, what it means to be a person among people who are seeking God, and uh, he's not intending to divorce himself at any point from his Catholic tradition. Uh, he, he was a Catholic and, uh, and, and a credit to his faith, actually, but he also didn't intend to accept uh, any points blindly, without understanding, and he wanted to make all of these things really his own um, so that um, his faith would be his own, uh, not by just rationalizing it, by act- but by actually living it. And so that's where a lot of the meditations from this book comes from. This is actually what I'm going to be reading this morning is, is from the prologue of the book. We aren't even very far into it, but there's some good stuff, and I'm just going to start sharing from the prologue and he says what every man looks for in life is his own salvation and the salvation of the men he lives with by salvation i mean first of all the full discovery of who he himself really is then i mean something of the fulfillment of his own god-given powers in the love of others and of god I mean also the discovery that he cannot find himself in himself alone, but that he must find himself in and through others. Ultimately, these propositions are summed up in two lines of the gospel. If any man would save his life, he must lose it. And, love one another as I have loved you. It is also contained in another saying from St. Paul, we are all members of one another. I love how, this is me, this is not Merton right here. You'll be able to tell the difference, I'm sure. But I love how, from the beginning, he is drawing on what salvation is. um, And he's describing it not in the watered-down gospel version that so many of our evangelical churches will use to talk about salvation. It's not a plan you pray through and then, then you've attained salvation. Uh, For Merton, as with all Christendom until the last couple hundred years or so, when that type of language began becoming very prevalent and popular, um, salvation was a communal thing. It was something that happened within the body of Christ. Uh, It was discovered with other people, and uh, it was a laying down of our lives. Um, It was in loving others. It was in discovering that you were a member of the greater body that salvation is incomplete if it's personal salvation but it's it's completed um well not even now in this life but but it's ultimately finds its fulfillment in the body of christ that you actually as we talked about a couple weeks ago when my buddy jr was on the show when we were talking about God creating a new family for his people, that that's part of this uh, this salvation plan. So I love how Merton has started off writing his prologue, talking about the full discovery of who he himself really is, is part of the salvation, but also um, fulfillment of his own God-given powers in the love of others and of God, um, being that salvation enables us to love well, both God and each other, and the discovery that he cannot find Himself and himself alone, and uh, that's that's his third point. So good stuff to be thinking about the, today. G- good stuff to maybe be wrapping our minds around a little bit as we are entering into dialogue of what it means to be saved, of what it means to be in a community of salvation. Let me read on. Uh, this is Thomas Merton still in the prologue. The salvation I speak of is not merely a subject, a subjective psychological thing a self-realization in the order of nature. It is an objective and mystical reality, the finding of ourselves in Christ, in the spirit, or if you prefer, in the supernatural order. This includes and sublimates and perfects the natural self-realization, which it to some extent presupposes and usually affects and always transcends, Therefore, this discovery of ourselves is always a losing of ourselves, a death and a resurrection. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, the scriptures say. The discovery of ourselves in God and of God in ourselves by a charity that also finds all other men in God with ourselves is therefore not the discovery of ourselves, but the discovery of Of Christ. Now, when Merton, I should let you know, when he refers to charity in this book, if you decide to read No Man is an Island, which I hope you will, and I hope you'll reread it and reread it, um, when he talks, uses the word charity, um, my understanding as he uses charity throughout the book, that charity is um, a word we might describe as the love of God or agape. what holy love is, um, unselfish love, a godly love. So when you hear him say charity, he's not talking about like, you know, giving to the Red Cross. Um, he's talking about this uh, unselfish God love. And so I want to I wanna look at that a little bit again here too, what he's talking about. It says, a discovery of ourselves is always a losing of ourselves, a death and a resurrection. The discovery of ourselves in God and of God in ourselves by charity that also finds all other men in God with ourselves is not the discovery of ourselves, but the discovery of Christ. In other words, the only way to truly discover ourselves, to discover who we are, is to be discovered by Christ, is to allow ourselves to uncover who we really were made to be. Um, To draw upon what uh, my friend Brian Zahn has been preaching about for a while in his sermons, To find ourselves in christ um brian i think would say it this way he would say that in christ and the way that every human being has been made every human being has been created to be calm content wise and unafraid and that's a, a sort of a mantra i've been hanging on to a reminder that as we draw near to christ as christ begins to um as we begin to discover ourselves in him Um, not that you know it's really hard to describe but but the way that god intended us to be were people who are calm content wise and unafraid to me that sums up uh, greatly who christ is i mean it doesn't probably get every single thing about christ but that's who we were made to be the closer we become to christ the more we are going to embody those things The further we are away from that reality of Christ and the body of Christ, the further we will be from being people who are calm, content, wise and unafraid. So I think that gets to the heart really of what uh, Merton is talking about when he's talking about finding ourselves in God and in other men. And God in other men and God in ourselves. Um, he's not talking about it in sort of a new agey, you are God and God is already inside you sort of sense of the word. He's talking about finding God in ourselves and finding ourselves in God in the sense that we are par- becoming part of a new reality that, that God has put himself Into us, that God has created us from God's stuff, that God has created us from himself, uh, from his very logos, from his very word of who he is. So um, we find ourselves, we find our salvation, we find who he has made us to be, um, and we find that we are part and parcel with God because we are made of God from God by God with God um, a great mystery here I, I love that that Merton doesn't mind diving into mystery um, let me let me continue with uh, with Merton's words this is first of all it is a realization that I live now um, not I but Christ liveth in me And secondly, it is the penetration of that tremendous mystery which St. Paul sketched out boldly and darkly in his great epistles, the mystery of the recapitulation, the summing up of all in Christ. It is to see the world in Christ, its beginning and its end, to see all things coming forth from God in the Logos, who becomes incarnate, and descends into the lowest depths of his own creation and gathers all to himself in order to restore it finally to the father at the end of time to find ourselves then is to find not only our poor limited perplexed souls but to find the power of god that raised christ from the dead and built us together in him unto a habitation of god in the spirit uh, referencing ephesians 2:22. He goes on the discovery of christ is never genuine if it is nothing but a flight from ourselves on the contrary it cannot be an escape it must be a fulfillment i cannot discover god in myself and myself in him unless i have the courage to face myself exactly as i am with all my limitations and to accept others as they are with all their limitations. That is some good stuff. I think we might need to hear that again. When he's talking about the discovery of Christ, it's never genuine if it's an escape from ourselves. Um I, I love that because we truly have been made to be redeemed. We we have been made to return to the selves God made us to be. Often I hear Christians talk about, you know, and, and this is probably from a, a different view than I hold, uh, a more Calvinistic view uh, of total depravity of man. Uh, to me, that is um, an attack on on uh, the way God made us, that God made us and saw it was good, not it was depraved. Um And so a return to Christ is actually a return to that goodness, uh, not an escape from our humanity, but a return to our humanity. So when Merton says a discovery of Christ is never genuine if it is nothing but a flight from ourselves, I think that's what he's talking about. When he says it cannot be an escape, it must be a fulfillment. And I love how he, he says, I cannot discover God in myself and myself in him unless I have the courage to face myself exactly as I am with all my limitations, and to accept others as they are, with all their limitations, um, we are really bad about not accepting who we are, and we're especially bad about not accepting who others are. Um, we see this all the time. We see it uh, in in um, everywhere. You know, any social media, any television media, any newspaper, um, a lot of the problems in this world come from people trying to change other people from not accepting who they are, from not accepting uh, who God made them to be. But let's get back to this idea, who God made us to be is not who we often are. Um, We have distorted that image. We are not people who are calm, content, wise, and unafraid. Uh, We are people who do the exact opposite of that. Every news media every commercial, everything we see, uh, I want to say especially things like Fox News, prey on, um, let me say this, I can't just say Fox News, that's sort of the conservative side, there's just as much on the other side as well, I'm not a conservative or a liberal, I'm a Christian, and uh, I don't believe in getting involved in those sides, but I just see these great offenders who want to do everything they can to keep us from being calm to keep us from being wise, uh, to keep us from being content, and to keep us from being unafraid. They actually thrive on fear. Uh, the The TV ads that we have, commercials, thrive on making us fearful that if we don't have that next thing, they thrive on making us discontent. They thrive on making us make unwise choices. Uh, they thrive on making sure that we're not calm. They want to excite us, get us revved up, go out, and we've got to do something right now. This is a return... A flight back to ourselves so to speak it's a refusal to be a part of that system it's a refusal to be a part of those lies so to get back to merton here when he says it must be a fulfillment and i have to accept others as they are with all their limitations i have to accept myself as i am with all my limitations he says the religious answer is not religious if it is not fully real evasion is the answer of superstition Um, i think a lot of people i know have a superstitious faith because they're evading things rather than facing them they're evading them we just want to change everybody we have to realize that god is the one who does the changing that we are called to love each other with that godly charity that merton is talking about our big problem is that we in the church are often expecting the world to be the church and um we expect them to act like we are. We need to first accept that they are who they are. They don't have to stay that way. They can be made new. They can be made redeemed. But but they aren't as necessarily they were envisioned yet. And we don't change them by legislating them. We don't change them by shouting at them. Uh, we change them by loving them. Uh, we don't change them with our protests. Um, Anyway, let me get back into Merton. He I'm going to get off my soapbox here a minute, but he says this is a matter of this matter of salvation is when seen intuitively a very simple thing, but when we analyze it it turns into a complex tame, tangle of paradoxes. We become ourselves by, by dying to ourselves. We gain only what we give up, and if we give up everything, we gain everything. We cannot find ourselves within ourselves, but only in others. Yet at the same time, before we can go out to others, we must first find ourselves. We must forget ourselves in order to become truly conscious of who we are. The best way to love ourselves is to love others. Yet we cannot love others unless we love ourselves, since it is written, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if we love ourselves in the wrong way, we become incapable of loving anybody else. And indeed, when we love ourselves wrongly, we hate ourselves. And if we hate ourselves, we cannot help hating others. Um, it, it's interesting to me. I, I wrote about it in the second chapter of my book, Out of the Depths, a songwriter's journey through the Psalms. Um, I write about it in in there. Um, when Psalm 8 talks about the wonders that God has made, Uh, the moon above, the starry skies, the children, infants, people. Um, I lose that wonder sometimes when I look at myself because I don't think I love myself very well. Um, I describe in the book several things that I find about myself to be inadequate. And the way that I tend to hang on to those things rather than the truth of who God has made me to be, and I think Merton really brings that out here, because if we love ourselves in the wrong way, we become incapable of loving anyone else, or at least loving anybody else well. And if we hate ourselves, we can't help but hate others. And, uh, and I realize more all the time, I deal with it some in my book in, in chapter 2, that um, if we hate ourselves, we hate God. If we hate ourselves, we say, I hate the things God has made. Uh, If we hate others, we are saying, I hate the things you make, God. So any sort of hate in us for ourselves or for others um, is in reality lived out a hate for God, a hatred for Him. And that's a tough pill for me to swallow. Um, I, I often don't feel like I like myself very well. And that is a spiritual problem. It's not a self-image problem necessarily. It, it may be a psychological problem to some extent. It may be the society we live in. But as I said before, I return to Christ. Um, finding ourselves in others and finding ourselves in God is actually a way to combat that, to see that God has made all things good, that God is renewing all things, that, uh, that God is good and He makes nothing that isn't good. Um, so let me continue on when, when Merton says, If we hate ourselves, we cannot help hating others. Yet there is a sense in which we must hate others and leave them in order to find God. Jesus said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In Luke fourteen twenty six, As for this finding of God, we cannot even look for him unless we have already found him. And we cannot find him unless he has first found us. We cannot begin to seek Him without a special gift of His grace. Yet if we wait for grace to move us before beginning to seek Him, we will probably never begin. The only effective answer to the problem of salvation must therefore reach out to embrace both extremes of a contradiction at the same time. Hence, that answer must be supernatural. That is why all the answers that are not supernatural are imperfect for they only embrace one of the contradictory terms and they can always be denied by the other. Take the antithesis between love of self and love of another. As long as there is a question of material things, the two loves are opposed. The more goods I keep for my own enjoyment, the less there are for others. My pleasures and comforts are, in a certain sense, taken from someone else. And when my pleasures and comforts are inordinate. They are not only taken from another, but they are stolen. I must learn to deprive myself of good things in order to give them to others who have a greater need of them than I. And so I must, in a certain sense, hate myself in order to love others that's one of the best ways i've ever heard that passage of jesus talking about hating uh you know father and mother brother and sister that i've ever described it's it's not hate in the sense that we talk about this uh angry wrathful you know wanting to do harm to others but it's more of a deprivation um so anyway interesting that we don't really love ourselves well until we love others well that um, by en- enjoying things at the expense of others, we are enjoying them sinfully and wrongfully. Um, I don't know how much further I want to share so much already, um, but I'll, I'll go on a bit more um, here in Merton today. He's, he's got some great writings and great things to say to us. Now, there is a spiritual selfishness which even poisons the good act of giving to another. Spiritual goods are greater than the material, and it is possible for me to love selfishly in the very act of depriving myself of material things for the benefit of others. If my gift is indeed to bind him to me, to put him under an obligation to exercise a kind of hidden moral tyranny over his soul, then in loving him I am really loving myself. And this is a greater and more insidious selfishness, since it traffics not in flesh and blood, but in other person's souls. Uh, Think about that. How often do we give hoping to put another person under our obligation, um, which is not loving them, it's loving ourselves. And uh, this is not the love of God. When he goes on and he talks about natural asceticism presents various insufficient answers to this problem, each answer contains a hidden temptation. The first temptation is to the hedonism of Eros. We deny ourselves just enough to share with one another the pleasures of life. We admit a certain selfishness and feel that in doing so we are being realistic. Our self-denial is then just sufficient to provide us with a healthy increase of our mutual satisfactions. In a bourgeois world, Eros knows how to mask as Christian charity. Next comes the temptation to destroy ourselves for the love of others. The only value is love of the other. Self-sacrifice is an absolute value in itself, and the desire of the other is also absolute in itself. No matter what the lover desires, we will give up our life or even our soul to please him. This is the asceticism of Eros, which makes it point to a point of honor to follow the beloved even into hell. For what greater sacrifice could a man offer on the altar of love than the sacrifice of his own immortal soul? Heroism is the sac- is in this sacrifice is measured precisely by madness. It is all the greater when it is offered for a more trivial motive. Yet another temptation goes to the other extreme. Uh, with Sartre, it says, Other people, that's hell. In that case, love itself becomes the greater temptation and the great sin, because it is an inescapable sin, it is also hell. But this too is only a disguised form of eros, eros in solitude, It is the love that is mortally wounded by its own incapacity to love another, and flies from others in order not to have to give itself to them. Even in its solitude, this Eros is most tortured by its inescapable need of another, not for the other's sake, but for its own fulfillment. All these three answers are insufficient the third says we must love only ourselves the second says we must love only another and the first says that in loving another we simply seek the most effective way to love ourselves the true answer this is important the true answer which is supernatural tells us that we must love ourselves in order to be able to love others that we must find ourselves by giving ourselves to them the words of christ are clear Thy, thou shalt love thy neighbor, as thyself. This is not merely a helpful suggestion; it is the fundamental law of human existence. Um, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there for today. Um, but, but that's a good place for us to begin. Um, I don't think we're very good at communal salvation in our thinking. We've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from Christ's understanding that salvation is not complete until we have found it with others. That we don't truly find salvation until we learn to love another as ourself. And we don't um, often love others well because we don't love ourselves well. And um, there's, there's a whole lot to that. It's easy to distort any of those things that we've talked about today and get too far exo- in, involved one way or another but um, I strongly encourage you to check out No Man is an Island by Thomas Merton um, you can usually find it on uh, the bargain racks at places like Barnes and Noble uh, you can go online find find used copies of it you can get it for any of your electronic devices like Kindle um, Thomas Merton is a worthy read anything you read by him uh, I don't know how many books I have read by him I, I've read a lot of Thomas Merton books and uh, that one in particular, along with a few other ones, his book on contemplative prayer is amazing. Uh, he has a book called Life and Holiness, which um, is, is a beautifully written book, uh, almost a corrective to some of our misunderstandings in the Nazarene Church about what holiness is. Um, it's a beautiful, wonderful description of, uh, of holiness. So um, those are just some ideas. Thomas Merton's been in my head a lot So uh, that's why I'm including it on this week's episode of Voices in My Head. I hope it's given you some things to think about. I hope it's given you some new light on salvation. uh, As we journey together, Um, Merton has been a real brother of mine, even though he died many years even before I was born. Um, Finding his readings, feeling as though um, I'm being discipled by him in a lot of ways is kind of what the kingdom of God is all about, it's kind of what we're talking about here, Um, my salvation that I find in myself is incomplete, Uh, I look to brothers like Merton, uh, people who can help point me to the Christ that lives in him, and the Christ that that wants to live out in me as well, and the Christ that is existent, uh, calling us all to him by calling us all to one another and um, opening in us up to the table. Um, I hope you're able to, uh, to go to the table of the Lord this weekend. Um, it is the high point of our worship time. It is the pinnacle, the climax of what we come together to do is to accept Christ's invitation as He opens His table to us. It's a very important time. And I hope you are a part of a congregation that allows you to do that. Uh, God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head. I do want to remind you that uh, my book is available, Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms. Um, In the next uh, few minutes, by the time this podcast is out, I've been working on a new song. and uh, It's still a little bit in progress, but I recorded a video of me playing it at my piano it's called sometimes so if you go to my youtube page at youtube.com slash rickley james you'll get to hear some new music there um there's an awful lot of videos over there too so if you want to hear some of my music um you want to hear some of my reflections on scripture and there's a, a a bunch of videos that are a part of something called preparing our hearts for sunday which uh, almost every week I have something on there um, about how to prepare our hearts this week to come before the throne in our worship service time. So I hope you will enjoy that. Um, and uh, oh, my book, by the way, if you if you want to um, get both the album and the book together, you can go to rickleyjames.bandcamp.com. You can get Out of the Depths, a songwriter's journey through the Psalms, along with a download of Basement Psalms Live which is uh, where the book came from originally. Uh, We are getting closer and closer to episode 100. I'm excited about that. uh, I'm still planning some things for that episode. I hope it's going to be a a neat thing that you're going to enjoy. I'm looking forward to it. And I don't want to tell you too much about it because if my plans fall through, then I don't have to go back and say, sorry, this didn't happen. Uh, But I am planning something special for episode 100 and just a couple episodes away from that. So thank you for listening to Voices in My Head thank you for being a part of this. I hope you guys have a great week. God bless you. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback,